Welcome to the Daily Horror Habit Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you daily reviews of current and classic horror movies for your twisted pleasure. Be aware that these reviews and discussions may include spoilers. And as always, I hope you enjoy. I think I found someone to produce my next album. His name's Vaughn Daniels. It says he was tried for murder. He was acquitted. Come in. Mr. Daniels. I'm glad you're here, Gray. This is my girlfriend, Charlie. Hi. I get the creeps. Since you got here, your music is... That's beautiful. I can smell it all over you. That's something primal. You need to use that. There's nothing that you have to hide from me. I suffer from hallucinations. I hallucinate that I'm turning into an animal. What's wrong, you okay? We're leaving. This place is doing something to you. It's not this place. You can't run away from your destiny. I don't know who you are anymore. It's not safe for you here. While the What Would You Do for Fame subgenre has been around for decades, it was horror films such as Kevin Kolsch and Dennis Widmeyer's 2014 Starry Eyes or Nicholas Wending Refn's 2016 The Neon Demon that fully capitalized on the genre's horrifying potential. And while these films each pursued different narrative influences, one supernatural and one more grounded, they both struck at the core of the human condition, our pursuit of fame, fortune, and vanity. The horrors that appear on screen are often a metaphor for the price or inner turmoil most are willing to pay to achieve their desires, even if that price is their own undoing. Though ensuring that that undoing unfolds in creatively horrifying ways we've yet to see before is easier said than done. Director Amelia Moses and writers Wendy Hill Tout and Lowell set out to attempt just that with their monstrous take on fame, Bloodthirsty, which comes to video on demand this Friday, April 23rd. We meet indie singer Grey, played by Lauren Beatty, who is at a creative impasse with her sophomore album. But Grey's big break comes when notorious music producer Vaughn, played by Greg Burke, invites her to his secluded woodland recording studio. An offer too good for Grey and her girlfriend Charlie, played by Catherine King So, to pass up. But once they arrive, but once they arrive, Grey realizes that to achieve her dream, she needs to look inward for her answers, and she may not like what she finds. As far as premises go, Bloodthirsty's setup is familiar. There are warning signs early on that perhaps Vaughn has earned his notorious reputation with good reason, but Grey's determination for success results in her continuously throwing caution to the wind and casting aside red flag after red flag. Despite her girlfriend's pleas, Grey is unwavering in her pursuit of cracking her creative blockade, even when the topic of what truly happened to Vaughn's last muse comes up. This of course leads to Grey's own undoing, as the divide between her and Charlie grows insurmountable, Grey further drifting into Vaughn's questionable embrace. As far as performances go, Lauren Beatty adequately enacts the manipulated artist trope well enough, played against a suitably sketchy Greg Burke. While there's nothing technically wrong with their performances, there's nothing here that you haven't seen done before, which makes for a passable but uninspired journey inward. 
I also have to note, Michael Ironside is billed in the film, but it's almost laughable to call it a cameo. Ironside plays Gray's doctor, Dr. Swan, but his screen time amounts to a grand total of less than three minutes, and that's being fairly generous. And now for a brief intermission. If you've been enjoying this episode of Daily Horror Habit, please take a moment to subscribe to the show on your preferred streaming platform or leave us a review on iTunes. And thank you for your continued support, and I hope you enjoy the remainder of today's horrifying episode. I get there's an incentive for indies to bag big-name stars so they can bill them for their film, but given Bloodthirsty isn't egregiously marketing this as a Michael Ironside movie, it's a baffling move. While Ironside doesn't have much to say or do, his character Dr. Swan serves to impress upon the viewer that Grey has her own share of issues she's grappling with before the musician's block ever actually set in. Primarily, Grey suffers from hallucinations, for which she's medicated for. Periodically, she has vivid nightmares of her ripping flesh from bones, though the bones of what, we never quite know. These primal nightmares lead her to believe she's suppressing something in herself, but what it actually is, she'll have to discover for herself. There are also periodic hallucinations of her fingernails growing abnormally large into something resembling talons, talons covered in blood and flesh. Even the least savvy of viewers can deduce that this is not a so subtle metaphor for her uncovering her true secrets, a painful and potentially deadly process she agrees to as it's required to achieve her success. If I were to compare Bloodthirsty to other films of its ilk, I'd say its narrative structure is more similar to Starry Eyes than The Neon Demon, though this is only a structural comparison as Bloodthirsty also undelivers on its actual horror elements. Grey's changes in behavior begin small, but surely they grow into increasingly predictable and wholly unsurprising ways. Initially a devout vegan who begins drinking blood from a defrosted steak, she's medicated and abstaining from alcohol early on, though quickly ditches her meds and skips from beer straight to hard alcohol soon after arriving. On some level, sure, the film's portrayal of an artist being manipulated by showbiz predator isn't unrealistic, but again, it's something you've seen countless times before. So when the horror elements are introduced, you'd hope that this is where the film's true defining identity would appear. And what follows is some pretty underwhelming practical work that doesn't inspire much dread or ingenuity to Bloodthirsty's persona. Throw in an unremarkable plot twist halfway through, which doesn't add much to the narrative other than to confirm what most audiences were kind of expecting early on in the film. It isn't that Bloodthirsty delivers to fail a competent what-would-you-do-for-fame narrative. In fact, there's little the film does objectively that's bad. It's just a lack of creativity that ultimately takes an experience you've seen countless times before and is devoid of any flair or fear that can make it a standout from those clear influences. I have purposely been vague about the film's big supernatural element, but, but don't read too much into that as if I'm saving the surprise for you. You will have more than likely guessed the big reveal before it actually happens. I'm a fan of Bloodthirsty's blending of supernatural and grounded character relationships, but when that practical work is lacking and the performances are just competent enough, neither does much to give Bloodthirsty the bite it needs to kill the competition. It's hard to recommend this film over others such as Starry Eyes, Raw, or The Neon Demon, and serves as just a barely average imitation of much better films. And that'll do it for another episode of Daily Horror Habit, and I'll see you guys tomorrow for another Daily Horror Movie Review. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Daily Horror Habit on your preferred streaming service and follow the show on Instagram at Daily Horror Habit and on Twitter at Daily Horror Pod for episode updates. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you guys next time.